From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President Sophia Thomas. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's monthly podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and the patients that we care for. As always, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back each month for new conversations with nurse practitioners and healthcare leaders from across the nation. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone of the special NP Week membership discount. Don't forget to use the discount code NPWEEK20 to save $20 on an NP membership or your membership renewal during the month of November. As we continue our NP Week series, NPs Today, Tomorrow, Together, it is my pleasure to welcome Nick Burnett. Nick is a retired Naval Nurse Corps officer, a Vietnam vet, and a family nurse practitioner who has spent decades in a multitude of roles providing much-needed health care in rural communities and serving as an educator. Nick's experiences and accomplishments serve as an inspiration for aspiring NPs, and he certainly inspired me as a young NP. He inspires students as well as seasoned NPs alike. I know that I've always left every conversation with Nick knowing more than I did going in, and I'm sure you will too. So please help me welcome Nick Burnett. So, Nick Burnett, welcome to NP Pulse. Well, thank you, Sophie. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to see you too. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, as president of AANP, I really stand on the shoulders of the great NPs that have come before me, who have mentored me and given me words of wisdom and, and guidance um, over the years, and especially when I was a young NP. And I, I certainly consider you as as one of the great NPs who who inspired me to continue on with my professional growth. And so I'm so thankful. And our our theme for NP Week is Today, Tomorrow, Together. And I think that's so important. But I also want to talk about our past. And, and as nurse practitioners, all of us uh, did something first, did something before we came NPs. And I'd like our listeners to get to know you, the Nick Burnett uh, before you came, became an NP. So t- I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Sophia. And, and I have to say that you you have also been uh, one of my mentors. So it goes back and forth. We've known each other for a long time, and I've, I've really enjoyed knowing you, and I've really enjoyed working with you. And I was very excited when you became the president. So that's a that's a very good thing for the for the association. So see, we've been around for so long, we still call it the Academy exactly. by accident. So yeah. I apologize I'll try to refer to it as the AANP. So, well, you you mentioned my past, and I I guess I can go way back. But I was born in a small town in Iowa where I grew up with absolutely no nurses in my family whatsoever. In fact, no one in my family had um, achieved a college education when I was going through high school. Uh, before I achieved my uh, degree, I don't think that anybody in my family is 
uh, as far as I can see on either side, had ever uh, graduated from college. So it was an unusual event for me to go to college, but I didn't start college until after I'd served in the military. There wasn't a lot of money. Um, you know, we were just ordinary people like so many other families, and there wasn't a lot of money for me to even think about going to college, and so that wasn't a plan. But a little thing called Vietnam came along, <clears throat> and uh, they made plans for me. So I was drafted, and uh, instead of joining the Army, I ended up joining the Navy. And, and I guess that would be the beginning of my story, and my, and my story is really based on the fact that Throughout your life, there will be people who will come and go through your life that will at some point say something to you that can absolutely change your life if you're willing to listen. What happened to me was I was working at a grocery store, and um, I was at that time I was working uh, as one of the assistant managers, and this was just after I graduated from high school, and I received my draft notice, and the, uh, the butcher at the butcher shop, who I'd worked for a few years before in the butcher shop, the butcher called me over and said, I hear you got your draft notice, and uh, when you take your break this morning, I'd like to talk to you. So I went back, took my break with him, and he'd been in World War II, and he said to me, you're going to be taking a test when you go down to take your physical. And he said, that test is going to determine what you get to do in your future. And he said, there's going to be a lot of guys who try to flunk that test because they don't want to go into the Army, but the Army is only looking for people to catch bullets. So you can't be too stupid to catch a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can flunk the test. So he suggested that I do the best I could on the test. And so I took his advice and I wrote a very high score on the test. And I, I don't mention that because I'm bragging. I mention that because it was a product of his of his suggestion. I wrote a good score. And that opened up for me some schools that I wouldn't have been able to go to if I hadn't done so well on my test score. So that was kind of the beginning of my come to maturation so I was able to go to a school for electronics. And back in the, the mid to late 60s, electronics was the up-and-coming thing. So that got me into electronics. And I, I did um, aviation electronics, where I worked on navigation, communication, and DECM, uh, DCM care. That's, uh, that, that required that I have a top-secret clearance. Now, I'm a little 18-year-old kid out of Iowa who... <laughs> I, I didn't even know I knew any secrets, let alone top secrets. But um, <laughs> I, I got a I got a, a crypto top secret clearance because of some of the information that we had to guard. And of course, they sent me off to Vietnam on an aircraft carrier, and I never saw a battle, but um, I did see a lot of action on the flight deck. And uh, those are stories probably best left for another time. But um, so that's that's how my education started. Was I I got into avionics school, and then while I was at sea, I had the opportunity to take a couple of college courses. And I was working in a shop with a bunch of very, very smart young men. And they stimulated me to learn more. And this all just came to fruition in that I decided that when I left the Navy, I was going to go back to college. And so after almost four years, three years and nine months of active duty, I left the Navy to go back to college. And I went back to uh, Iowa State University, which is very near to my home with the intent of becoming a veterinarian. That was my plan. I was going to do animal medicine, and look where I ended up. But anyway, I, uh, my father was the maintenance engineer at the local hospital, and uh, he told me, you know, the guys that drive the ambulances and work nights in the hospital, um, they get a study when their work is all caught up. So it's like getting paid to, you know, they're all going to Iowa State, and he said, they're working here at nights, and it's an opportunity to get paid while you study. It's a pretty good deal. So 
Long story short, he got me started working as an orderly and an ambulance driver at the hospital. You can see where this is going, can't you? Uh-huh. So I was fortunate enough to work nights with a, with an old night nurse, and we all know what a night nurse is, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> tough, uh, tough. Tough lady who knew, I mean, she was brilliant. And I did not even realize how much she knew until years later when I was able to look back on it. But I worked with Ruth, and uh, I don't know how long I'd worked with her. I'm sure it was several months, probably not quite a year. When she called me aside one day and said, you know, you should think about going into nursing. And I looked at her like she had two heads. And this I was never, still in the 1960s? This was No, no this was 1972. 19, okay. no, 19, 1971 or 1972, I can't remember exactly. And uh, <clears throat> I was so naive, I didn't even know men could be nurses. I had never seen a man that was a nurse. I'd never heard of a man being a nurse. Now, I had even thought of being a cosmetologist at one time, but I'd never thought of being a nurse. <laughs> well, there weren't that many back then. There really were not. And so um, Ruth suggested that I should think about being a nurse. She said, you had the skills, you'd be really good at it. And I had no idea what she meant by that. And I just kind of let it, you know, slide on by. But Ruth was a very sharp person. And about every two weeks or so, she would just push it a little bit more, just kind of edge me a little more towards that idea. Until finally, after a period of time, she got me thinking about it. So I looked into how you, how you become a nurse and where you'd go to school to become a nurse. And I started checking into what it would cost to become a nurse. And I found that I could go to nursing school at a very reasonable rate. So I found a diploma school of nursing nearby. Now, I had already been at Iowa State for a few semesters, so I accrued some college credits. And I enrolled in this um, community school of nursing, which we knew back then as, as um, diploma schools. And uh, <clears throat> started in the diploma school. I had to pick up a couple of more credits at the local community college uh, as electives along with the nursing. And so I picked up those courses and I ended up getting an associate's degree, an, a, an AD, in, oh, actually an AS, an uh, associate's degree in science. And then I, the next year, finished my diploma in nursing. And I went back on active duty in the Navy as an RN because it just made sense. I could make a whole lot more money. And I went back on active duty in the Navy and became a critical care nurse in the Navy. And you had rank then, right? If you go in as an RN, you... I was a commissioned officer at that time, yep. I had, I had left uh, active duty as a, an E5. I was uh, smart enough to get into a reserve program, although it was an Army reserve program, and I made E6. I was up for E7 when I took my commission as an O1. So I was assigned to San Diego, the Naval Hospital at San Diego, and while I was there, I was placed on a, uh, a surgical ward. We had, uh, I forget now, we had, I, I remember we had 54 surgeons that made rounds twice a day. Wow, that's a busy so unit. It was crazy busy. And uh, I worked with a, another, there was another male nurse that I worked with. He was kind of my sponsor there, and the rest of them were all women. But I did my orientation, and my orientation went so well that the day after I finished my orientation, they gave me somebody to orient. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's like see one, do one, teach one, you know? Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> and and uh, and then it began. So I, I, I worked at the Naval Hospital in San Diego um, for three years, and had a, a really wonderful experience there and uh, 
rapidly was moved up into an area of uh, mid-level supervision and, and supervised, at one time I supervised 245 hospital corpsmen throughout the entire hospital. So, so that was a really good experience. And, and from there, I, I became, I was a critical care nurse at that time. I transferred to Camp Pendleton where I worked in critical care and then to Japan where I worked in critical care and then back to the United States. And when I came back to the States, I, I went back and finished my bachelor's. So now I had an, an AS, a diploma and a BSN. And while I was taking my BSN courses, I, I happened to have a professor who was really outstanding. She was one of those people who could just stimulate you to want to learn and stimulate you to be better and stimulate you to look to the future. She was just a great mentor. <clears throat> and uh, so before I was done with my, my, my bachelor's, I was already thinking about doing my master's. I was always already thinking about being something that I had never really heard much about, but being a nurse practitioner. I, I, I really didn't know what this role was. Um, I knew that it was an advanced role, and I knew a couple of people who were family nurse practitioners, one who was a pediatric nurse practitioner, and I knew what they were doing in the Navy, but I, I don't really think I still had a full scope of what this what this profession was. And uh, so I decided, I think I'd like to try this. And I applied to the Navy to, to continue my education as a nurse practitioner. And, and it looked like it was going to happen, but then there was a little, uh, kind of a, a little snafu, and I was not able to complete that, um, that goal at that time. So I took orders to go to um, Chicago to Great Lakes, where I, I taught hospital core school. And I taught hospital school, course school there for three years. Um, and uh, during that time, well, we'd gone through a couple of, uh, well, desert storm and a couple of other issues where we had to really ramp up the number of students that we were putting out. And I really found I loved teaching. And I, and I loved sharing my medical knowledge with these hospital corpsmen. And I loved helping them understand what their roles were going to be, what their job was going to be, and how they would be able to go out um, and, and care for other sailors and, and Marines, because that's where the Marines get all of their, their medical help is from hospital corpsmen. And so I, I did that for three years, and I loved it. Um, I forgot to mention that one of my roles while I was back in San Diego, back in my first tour uh, in San Diego, was I got to, to work in the uh, inpatient psychiatric unit, wow. which makes you, makes you kind of wonder, you know, do they— did they put me there because of my behavior or what? But um, <laughs> uh, actually, they put me there because of my prior enlisted experience and some problems that they were having with their staff. But I loved that. I, I really enjoyed that role. Well, when I got um, to hospital core school, there was a need for a psychiatric um, coordinator. So I got the role of the psychiatric coordinator. So any of our students who were having issues with anxiety and that sort of stuff, I got I, I was able to function with. And, and I mentioned this because... I look back on that now and realize that that was the beginning of my advanced practice was I was actually doing some counseling. I was actually doing some therapies and I was actually working with the hospital to coordinate any of our students who had to be admitted to the psychiatric unit up there. So I was already starting that advanced practice role and didn't even realize what I was doing. So it's just built inside you, I think. You think? Well, yeah. I don't know. That's that's nice of you to say, and I, and I, and 
and I'm, I'm flattered that you would even ask me to do this, uh, this talk today, but, uh, um, I, well, to, to finish the, the conversation, um, so at the end of my tour at Great Lakes, I retired from the Navy after 25 years of active duty. And at my, when I decided to retire, my wife asked me, I think she was a, a bit concerned because she asked me, well, what are you going to do next? Um, because I was, I was 45 years old when I retired. <laughs> and uh, and she, you've retired a couple times, haven't you? Four. Yeah, <laughs> but who's counting? I'm not very good at it. I just keep <laughs> I just keep going back to work. But anyway, um, she uh, she wanted to know what I was going to do next. And I said I think I'm going to go back to Texas and finish my master's as a nurse practitioner. So I called um, to see if I could get in and uh, talked to this um, my my professor that I that I mentioned earlier and uh, got and and she said you should apply. You know we're taking. We're, we're accepting applications right now. And she said, you should apply. Um, I think you'd be great. And why don't you apply? And I said, well, I don't want to, you know, go to all the effort if there's not an opportunity, not, you know, there's no chance I'll be accepted. And I said, how many do you have applying? And she said, I think we have a hundred and a uh, hundred applications now. And I said, well, how many students are you going to take? She said, 12. Ooh. <laughs> I said, well, I, I, I think maybe I'm wasting my time. Oh no, no, you should apply. You should apply. So long, long story short, um, I applied and, uh, I was accepted and, uh, and that was at, uh, Corp or uh, it used to be Corpus Christi state. It became, um, Texas A&M at Corpus Christi. Um, and so I got my degree from Texas A&M. So I guess I'm a, I'm an Aggie now. I didn't even realize that, but I'm an Aggie. So, You're an Aggie. I'm an Aggie. So, uh, so I went there and, uh, they had a great program and, uh, it was a wonderful situation. And the, and the professor that I keep mentioning is her name was, uh, Chris Bray, B-R-A-Y, Chris Bray. She was, she was wonderful. Uh, and I just loved working with her and learning from her. And I, soon after I got there, um, actually I'm, I'm talking now just weeks. I think our our program started on uh, the in the middle of May. I think it was might have even been May fifteenth, but about the middle of May we started, and we're just kind of starting to break the surface. This whole advanced practice sort of thing. When she comes in one day and says, "You know, the uh, the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners is holding its annual convention in San Antonio, and I think we should all go up to that. I'll give you credit. I'll give you course credit if you'll go up to the AANP." you know, national conference, you know, I'm not, I'm no dummy. I get to go to a conference and get credit. Sure. I'll go, you know? So, uh, -huh. uh so the, most of the entire class went up to San Antonio to this conference. Now this is back. If you've, if you've been to a conference, you know how many thousands of people are there. This is oh. back when there was about 200 people. In exactly. Yep. At this conference, there was hardly anybody there, but it was a big, it was the biggest conference up until that time. So I guess what I'm saying is, AANP was in its infancy back in, in the early, um, well, I guess that was, well, what year would that have been? 93. That was the summer of 93. So I went, um, I got excited, and I joined AANP, and I, I joined as a student. I don't know that I really had um, a very good understanding of what I was joining, but I, I understood it to be our professional organization, and I joined and uh, Chris gave us a lot of a, a lot of uh, encouragement to, to be active and to do those things. So uh, 
went through, uh, finished my my FNP, and uh, was able to become a, a, health, a national health uh, scholarship student and recipient. And so went back to Iowa for my in my last semester, in the last few weeks of my last semester, and did a uh, a clinical uh, rotation in Iowa um, as a health scholarship uh, student. And at rural health, doing rural yeah, health. I, I wasn't doing rural health at that time. Nope. This was actually just doing it. Uh, um, it was in a, a um, community hospital, so we were doing serving the underserved, and it was a, it was a really great experience. I worked with a lot of really uh, important people, interesting people, and uh, had no idea at the time that my commitment meant that I also was going to have to do a lecture at one of um, at their um, annual conferences. So I ended up going to Kansas City and. And doing a lecture about where I was working and so on, and that was kind of kind of fun. But you know, I, I'm starting to see um, opportunities coming my way, and I'm starting to be challenged beyond my comfort zone. And uh, so I, I did that. And then um, after I finished that rotation, of course, it was time to go to work, and I was I needed to look for a job. Well. I had gone back to my hometown in Iowa, and they had a little hospital there, and they were looking for another uh, family practice provider, but they had no idea what a nurse practitioner was. Didn't have a clue. Never seen one. They kind of had an idea what a PA was, but they didn't know what an NP was. Mm -hmm. So um, I applied. I, I interviewed at the hospital. And they were quite interested in what I could do. And, uh, they were, I, I kind of opened their eyes to what the, the role was. And they asked me a question. I remember this. They asked the, the hospital administrator asked me a question and he said to me, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? And I said, well, I would go to Zeering, which is a small, small community in Iowa. And I would open a rural health clinic. And he said, why would you go to Zeering? And I said, because in this county, that's the only community that's considered to be a, a health sh professional shortage area. I think I said HIPSA. And he said, what's a HIPSA? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's when I realized I might have a pretty good education and didn't even realize it. So yep. I, I a lot of insight to, there. <laughs> yeah. So I explained to him what a health professional shortage area was and why if I went to Zeering and opened a, a uh, rural health clinic, that the government would help us to support it. And that's why I wanted to go to Zeering. And he said, just a minute. So he, he gets on the phone. He says, can you come in here? And this lady comes in. He introduces her. She's the assistant hospital administrator. And he asked me to repeat what I had just discussed with her. And she her face kind of went blank. And she looked at me. And then she looked at him. And she said, how did he know? And he said to me, we want to open a clinic, but we want to open it in Maxwell, which was about equidistance away, but it wasn't a HIPSA because it was in another corner of the county. And he said, why wouldn't we go to, to Maxwell to open up a clinic? And I said, well, you can go to Maxwell if you want, but you're not going to get federal funds. You're not going to get that assistance that we'll get if we go to Zeering. And that's, you know, that's very insightful of you to say that, you know, as a, as a young, just graduated NP, I mean, you had a lot of, of insight into what makes the world go round. 
Yes. And when I look back on that, even I'm surprised. You know, I graduated in December, and this conversation was being held November before I graduated in December. Uh-huh. And um, so I'm, you know, I'm not even a graduate yet, but I, I have an idea what I want to do. So to bring this, this uh, part of the story to, to fruition, um, they hired me and they allowed me to go to Zeering and, and find property. And I, f- I found a building and um, I designed and built a clinic and we opened the clinic. Now, I graduated in December, on December, I think it was 8th, if I remember right. And we opened this clinic on March 13th. Wow. As a new grad, you opened up a rural health clinic. As a new grad, yes. Looking back on that, I wonder about my wisdom. But <laughs> um, but I'm proud to tell you that that clinic is still open today. And it's manned five days a week by a nurse practitioner. And uh, that was in 1994. So I guess that makes it what twenty six years old. That clinic yeah. is still around. Yeah, so serving, uh, providing access to care for thousands of people. Are exactly right. Yeah, and uh, and the reason that we talked about these two communities, Zering and Maxwell, is because in the past they'd had their own physician, but those physicians had either retired or passed or or retired and passed away. But the communities really wanted their own health care. They really wanted their own health care. But to be honest, they really couldn't afford to have a physician in those communities. There just wasn't enough care. So I I started working in Zeering in the mornings, Monday through Friday, just in the mornings, and um, started filling my schedule and filling my schedule. And, and as I mentioned, now they're open five days a week, uh, eight hours a day. But that was March. And um, I think it was in April, mid-April. Maybe maybe it was a little later, maybe it was May or June, but it wasn't long after I got started that I got a phone call from the hospital administrator wanted to see me in his office. So I went to his office and he said, well, we like what you have done in Zeering. We want you to go to Maxwell and do the same thing. So I went to Maxwell and opened a clinic in Maxwell and I worked there in the afternoons. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I, I just learned so much doing this. It was mm-hmm. in- incredible. I rented, you won't believe this, but I rented a building in each of these two small communities for a dollar for a year. Wow, I that's paid, a negotiation. I paid one dollar <laughs> for the whole year. Yeah. And then we put in, you know, probably thirty or forty thousand dollars worth of improvement in their building because we put a clinic in, you know. Yeah. And uh and we, you know, there was a whole lot of contractual stuff that I learned about, you know, first right of refusal. And, and then we, after the first year, we paid $250 a month rent for them for five years. And this is all because I, I knew the importance of controlling my overhead. I mean, I knew I had to control my overhead. Mm-hmm. So anyway, both clinics are still going all these years later. They're both going, they're both going full time and uh, they're still seeing people in those communities and providing that clinic care in the, in the rural communities. So. And that's so important. That's so important. And, and, you know, you talked about challenges beyond your comfort zone. And and I think that's what helps us to grow is being challenged beyond our comfort zone and and learn how to think outside the box. I I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right. I, I think that you and I are sitting here today because we've learned to say yes to challenges. Oh, absolutely. 
We have learned when someone asks us, would you like to, even though it is so far out of our wheelhouse, we cannot imagine doing this. We said, boy, that sounds like something that would be fun. I'm going to try that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I I said, I, I, I have been on the, the governor's task force for early education uh, for childhood or early childhood education in the state of Iowa. I served on the uh, Iowa attorney general's um, board for, for um, nurse practitioner uh, evaluation of practice. Um, I've, I've had to actually sit in uh, hearings on uh, nurse practitioners who are being evaluated for, uh, for malpractice uh, and licensure, uh, you know, consideration and so on. I, I've, I mean, I've, I've been asked and I have, I've said yes. And I, I've gotten, you know, so much reward from stepping out of my comfort zone and, and learning, learning from others. And, and, you know, when I go to these things, I don't always know what it is I'm going to be doing until I get there. But I know this, that there's somebody that's going to help me to do it. And so if I'm smart enough to listen and look, I'll find someone who can help me to do these th- sorts of things. And that's what you know, we're talking about uh, NPs today, tomorrow, and together. You know, that's that's the together part, and that's what's going to get us to tomorrow. You got to find that person that's going to mentor you, that's going to help you. That you just have to know who to ask. Yeah, and where there's a will, there's a way, and and certainly, again, you know, standing on the shoulders of those that came before us, um, providing us guidance, wisdom opportunities as well um you know and and i want to go back to you when you first uh were working in san diego and and running the unit there and you were a a man in a female dominated profession how how did uh what was your perception of how how your co-workers accepted you or was there um things were a little bit different back then when you're talking about the 1970s 1980s it's definitely not 2020 no, and, but you have to remember now that this was the military, so there's also another sort of aspect about it being kind of a men's club. So what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm working with other nurses, you know, my, um, my rank, uh, same ranks or, or just slightly senior to me, and we're doing the same sorts of work. And the only places where I really saw that there was a problem was when it became um, sort of those personal sorts of things that we have to do. For instance, catheterizations. Well, I was never allowed to catheterize a female patient. But if there's a male patient to be catheterized, they always came to drag me down there. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't, whether they were my patients or not, you know, that was just one of those things. Um, so I, I saw some gender um, biases here in some, in, in some of those sorts of things that I thought, well, you know, this isn't really all that professional. Most of us can handle those sorts of things if we treat it professionally. But what I really noticed was many of the nurses that were senior to me, I mean, really senior to me, like like in that mid-level supervision level, were intimidated by the fact that I was a male. Mm-hmm. And that, that was um, a challenge I had to learn to overcome. And I had to learn how to speak with, um, with deference and how, how to... If I, if I wanted to be successful, I was going to have to watch how I, I behaved. And it wasn't, it had little to do with my professional abilities because I'd already established my professional abilities. What it had to do with was the fact that I was a male and I was threatening to them. So, yeah. so there was that. Now, before I, 
before I came on active duty in the Navy and I was working briefly um, after graduation as a nurse in the local hospital, it was a whole different thing. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but when I graduated from nursing school, um, nurses still ate their young. I'm not sure if they still do today <laughs> or not, but um, boy, that was a, that was a tough, it wasn't just hazing. They were just, some of them were just plain mean to you. And so, um, and they were probably just as mean to my female cohorts as they were to me, but it was, it was tough to learn to be successful amongst those nurses. And I have always remembered that. And I've always thought that was the, for all the things I love about nursing, that's the one thing I will always hold as the, the biggest shortcoming of our profession is that we, as nurses, didn't know to mentor um, those who followed us. But excitingly, I will tell you that I see that's the big difference between being, one of the big differences between being a nurse and a nurse practitioner. Because in my experience as a nurse practitioner, we do mentor our young. And there's not that challenge. If there's a challenge, it's, it's more to challenge them to do better rather than, you know, challenge them to do your bidding. So, so. Exactly. Well, and you're an educator, too. Um, are, you, are you still on faculty? No, I, I finally got to, that's, that was my fourth retirement. That's, and I, I, and I finally have given it up, but, uh, oh, so you're man. successful at that. And that's, that's one. Well, it's been a year now, so I guess we're going to, we'll, cons- we'll, we'll, we'll consider see. that a success. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued. But, uh, yes. But I do. I love teaching. I love mentoring. When I first started practicing, um, actually I, I graduated in December and I took my first student in February. So my first student was actually involved with me as I built that clinic, uh, my very first clinic in Zeering. And what happened was when I, when I went back to Iowa to practice, um, I went back to, to do a little clinical rotation and I was looking for other master's prepared family nurse practitioners in the state. And I wasn't, I was able to find one, only one. And she, and she was doing women's health, strictly women's health. And, uh, now I, I come later. I found out that there were at least two others. I'm not sure there were more than two other masters prepared nurse practitioners in the entire state. Uh, I'm sorry, masters prepared family nurse practitioners. There were a lot of masters prepared pediatric nurse practitioners because the University of Iowa had a good program for pediatrics, but they did not have family at the time. So when I came back to Iowa, I was a bit of an, uh, uh, you know, a uh, kind of a unicorn. And <laughs> so students who wanted to come back and do clinical in family practice in Iowa, um, I was, I was the only one that, or, or one of the very few anyway, that could, could take mass graduate students, master's students. And so I started in February taking a student because so many people had taken me under their wing and given me opportunity. I felt the same need. So, so I started taking students in, in February and I, I had students, I almost every month of my entire career in practice, I had students and sometimes I had more than one student. I, I, I had over a hundred students, um, family practice students. I had them from all over the United States. I had them from Arizona. I had them from uh, Oklahoma. I, I had them from all over the place. So, um, I, I really enjoyed that. In fact, the student that I was talking, referring to from Arizona stayed and took over the the clinic in Zeering when I moved on to another clinic later. So really, was, yeah. So, yeah. So you're mentoring and, and giving back to the profession, giving back to the role 
uh, teaching others, bringing them up. Um, now they're going to be giving giving back as well. And it's really, I think, uh, when you mentor someone, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. And those that are mentees end up becoming mentors. And I think that's what's so great about nurse practitioners is that we do give back and we teach and we do give a little bit extra. Uh, that caring, innate, um, that being uh, that's inside us that grows, that makes us want to give back to help our patients is also what drives us to help our, our colleagues to, to become more and to grow. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that we demonstrate the behavior that we want them to follow. And I, I would, as I had students, I would tell them, now this is what I expect you to do when you start practicing. And I would hear them say, oh, oh, I, I'll, I'll never be, I, oh, gee, I just can't imagine having students. Yeah, well, you probably can't imagine a lot of the things that you're going to do, but having students should be one of them, you know. So I really encourage them from the start that this is something that you have to do. And when they would say to me, well, I can't thank you enough, I would tell them you can thank me very simply by doing the same for the next generation. So Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges our, our, our profession faces right now is, is um uh, we have students that are looking for good, qualified, quality preceptors that do want to um, see NPs grow, grow and, and challenge them beyond their comfort zone, like you talked about before, because that's what's so important to to professional growth is is those challenges. Right. Yep. I agree completely. And so what do you think, Nick, as, as we look at, at the, the role right now, um, what do you see as the biggest obstacle we as uh, as nurse practitioners have overcome this thus far in our in our role as you look back from 1965 when the role was first started uh, to now well I, I think that we have really uh, overcome that obstacle of of demonstrating that we are the professionals that we say we are I mean we've done such a good job and I think the COVID-19 thing has just proved it I mean we, yep. we have shown that we are able to take care of anything right alongside our physician colleagues. And, you know, I, I am not here to tell you that I'm a physician. You know, that's, that, that is not what I do. I do, sometimes I do more than that. Sometimes they can do things that I don't have the skills or the knowledge or the ability to do. We're teammates. You know, I don't, I don't expect my electrician to finish, to fix my plumbing. Um, exactly. You know, we, we all have our roles. And uh, I have to tell you, my, my son, who I'm very proud of, is a, a cardiologist and he's continually calling me, and I know your son's in medical school as well. Yeah. My, my, my son and I are, are conversing all the time. He'll always send me interesting EKGs and say, what do you think? And, you know, we have all these conversations. So my, my point here is, is that, you know, we, we collaborate. That's how we practice is through collaboration. And I don't, I don't want to have to have sign a contract with somebody that you'll be the only person I collaborate with. But I want to know that when I call, you'll take my call and, and we can talk about these sorts of things and, do the best that we can for our patients. So you, the question you ask is, what's the biggest obstacle? I think the biggest obstacle is demonstrating our um, professionalism and our, our quality of care. And I think we've done that over and over again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll continue to do that. So what do you see, um, if, you, if you had a crystal ball and you could look 10 years into the future, where do you see the profession? Where do you see our role um, uh, continue to develop? Well, honestly, um, I, I see us being just like the other medical groups. I mean, if you look back to the to the past and you see how the the uh, 
the osteopaths became exactly um, you know became similar to the to the um, allopaths and you you look and see i mean one of my favorite um, comments is when you when you ask a patient do you do you see an eye doctor they will say yeah sure i do and you ask them well is it is it an optometrist or an ophthalmologist they don't have a clue they don't know they don't need to know because they know that the optometrist is going to refer them to an ophthalmologist if they need it. Exactly. Or an ophthalmologist is going to refer them to an optometrist if they need it. I I see that coming in our in our day too. I see that that our patients will see us knowing that if we can't meet their needs, we're going to get them where their needs can be best met. And I hope that we're going to see the day when physicians say you know, um, you should be seeing a nurse practitioner. They're they're much better at this teaching part of this than I am. Or um, I, I have a nurse practitioner who's really skilled at diabetic, you know, uh, care. Why don't you go see this nurse practitioner, you know, down the street who's a great diabetic uh, nurse practitioner or or any of the other, you know, subspecialties that we might work in. When I first started practicing, I practiced with an osteopath. And, uh, and he was a great osteopath. He still practiced osteopathy. But every time he got a patient who had diabetes, he sent him across the hall to me. <laughs> and every time I got a patient with low back pain, I sent him across the hall to him. I mean, yeah. it was the best of both worlds. I see that as our future. I see that it, we, we will be equally uh, as well accepted as anybody else. Exactly. And I think it's, it's about everybody practicing to the top of their education and training to provide high quality care to the patients who need it and just meeting all the patient's needs. I agree. And, I and agree we can do that by, by um, working together. Um, you know, Nick, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's been a great conversation. Um, you've, as I said, you've been one of the men, my mentors. And when I was a young NP, um, just starting out, you actually gave me inspiration to um, give back and, and go above and beyond and not to be one of those NPs that just goes to practice every day and comes home. You you encouraged me to join and belong and be a member of, of uh, the academy, which is now the association, and uh, to get involved. And I've, and I've done that for my, my, you know, 25 years as an NP, always um, uh, done more to try to give back to my profession, to my role, uh, to be the best NP that I can be. So I want to thank you for your inspiration all these years. Well, thank you. I, I'm flattered that you would say that, but I would tell you that you you don't need to thank me because you've returned the favor and all the things that you have done for our profession and for those people who are in our profession. And, and for that, I want to thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. It's always an absolute pleasure to speak with you. For everyone listening, I hope that you're inspired and encouraged about what NPs can and have accomplished and just how bright the future of the NP role is. As we celebrate NP Week, I encourage you to get involved in the conversation. Visit aanp.org forward slash NP Week for resources, how-tos, and conversation topics to help spread the word about nurse practitioners and the amazing work that we're doing to meet the needs of our patients and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new episodes. And as always, be kind, 
Be safe and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Thank <laughs> you.